Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Speaking of uh, things that are at thejazzsession.com, there is now a donate button at the site. If you feel like the show has added some value to your life and you'd like to give a little back, feel free to click on donate and you can make a secure PayPal donation via your credit card or your bank account or a bag full of gold bullion or a chicken or whatever seems to be handy. Thank you so much. There's no obligation to do so. The show will will never be uh, for pay. You'll always be able to get it free. But if you want to kick in, I could sure use the bread. My uh, my guest today is Chris Kelsey. He's a saxophonist. He's a critic. He's a writer. He's a blogger. I actually uh, met him online and uh, went to his house. And I'll just say this. If they finally start rounding up the jazz musicians, Chris will be safe for a long time because he lives out there. <laughs> you have to like drive over a mountain and through the forest and past the wolf and everything to find Chris Kelsey's house. Uh, but it is there and in other places where he uh, holds forth on all things jazz. And he's also recorded uh, a wonderful album that I quite enjoy called Not Cool. Uh, from that album, we're going to hear the opening track called Femulate the State. <laughs> My guest is Chris Kelsey. His new album uh, on his own, I'm just going to say it like it's actually spelled Jazz Critic label, <laughs> even though there's some, some funky spelling in there. It's called Not Cool, as in the opposite of Paul Desmond. First of all, thanks very much for inviting me to your house. It's well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to finally meet you. Uh, I first uh, became aware of you um, through the world of blogging, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but... I want to focus on the record first and just start off and say, uh, why the opposite of Paul Desmond? 
Well, I, I don't mean to diss Paul Desmond. You know, he was a good player. Uh, it was. It, it, it's mainly uh, a reaction to the uh, to the atmosphere in which I grew up um, in Oklahoma in the in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, it seemed like there were there. I wasn't around a lot of black jazz musicians. There was kind of a white aesthetic. And uh, uh, the, the jazz that was going on at the time, uh, there were a lot of um, university professors, you know, that were part-time jazzers and stuff. And, and those, those guys tended to like Paul Desmond for what, you know, they, they were cool school, you know, kind of neo-hipster kind of guys. And they tended to like Paul Desmond. And, and I never really, I couldn't stand Paul. I, I, my dad was a, a saxophone player, and I grew up listening to... Uh, or at least I heard around the house players like Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley and Sonny Rollins and 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 you know the the hard bop the black aesthetic and that's that he that's what he dug that's what I grew up digging and so uh, I, I get to college and, and everything is like the cool school the Paul Desmond thing and I just Ugh. I, I didn't I didn't care for it at all and so um, that's kind of um, I, I named the record that on something of a whim. It was just because I wanted to emphasize the hotness of this music. I wanted to emphasize the intensity. This is uh, unlike some of my other records. This is, in a way, this is the most out thing I've done, the freest thing, the most um, high energy, consistently high energy thing that I've done. And my last few records have been. They've swung more or less conventionally, and at at certain points, some a lot of the tunes have been, you know, uh, you know, blues and more or less conventional straight ahead swing. Although they've been out in their way, but this, there's nothing conventional about it. It's it's kind of out of Eiler, out of the 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 late Cecil aesthetic. You know, the the multiple tempos, all the all tempos, all the time, liquid time kind of uh, concept. And and it's always very high energy, which to me, high energy hotness is is the absolute antithesis of well, Paul Desmond blesses his heart. He he was okay for what he did. I never cared for him, but this isn't an insult to Paul. It's just the opposite of what he did. Uh, one thing I read uh, in the bio that you wrote about um, yourself on your site is that when you um, were kind of first getting into the New York scene, there were a lot of completely free players, and that you were more interested in freedom, but I think you said freedom, playing free with jazz chops. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that kind of relates to the music on this record, or maybe the evolution to this point? Yeah, when I, when I, um, when I first started playing in New York, my first couple of years I did very little playing. I, I, uh, I was just learning to live in New York and it, coming from a small town in Oklahoma New York was such a drastic change and it was I had always dreamed of living here I'd wanted to for as long as I could remember and I, I just immersed myself in the culture of the city my first few years and that meant uh, listen, doing a lot of listening going out and hearing as much music as I, I could afford going to museums um, learning how to live in the city uh, absorbing the culture so I didn't do a lot of playing and um, I from I'd say from '86 to '89, um, uh, the only playing I did, I hung out at the New School right after their jazz program started, and uh, I did. A friend of mine was going to school there, and so I hung out there a little bit, did some practicing, sat in on a couple classes. Eventually, they kicked me out they, because 
I wasn't paying tuition. I was I was like catching practice room time from people who are spending thousands of dollars, so they kicked me out. Arnie Lawrence, uh, who was running the thing at the time, he, he was so cool. He, he let me come as, as often as I wanted to, but eventually an administrator told me I, had to, I, I couldn't come anymore. So that was that. But other than that, I did very little playing for the first few years. And uh, in, in late 89, I moved, to, I moved to Manhattan. I had been living in various places, Queens and Canarsie and, and Brooklyn. And, but in 89, I moved to Manhattan on the Lower East Side, and uh, that's where the music was happening. And I, uh, I discovered a group of people uh, that called themselves free improvisers, but they weren't jazz players. They were um, more of a, they were working more of a post-Cajun aesthetic and, and, and uh, Keith Rowe kind of thing coming from, you know, the, the, what they call now electroacoustic improvisation. No one really used that term so much then, but it was, it's definitely not jazz. It's, it's more noisy and, and, and small sounds. And it could be anything from like a guy biting his, blowing through his horn and biting his, uh, an alto reed and just getting squ squeals to someone clicking a, a set of claw, uh, of, of like castanets. castanets into a microphone, you know, it was just, it, but it was totally not jazz. It had nothing. There were very few people with jazz chops, and I, I, I was just happy to be playing. And these people were very open-minded, and they were very friendly, and it was a very open vibe. And I, I enjoyed being around them. So I, I played with a lot of those people for the first couple of years, from like '89, early '90s, and uh, that was, that was. That was fine as far as it went, but but I miss playing with you know the heavy. I wanted to play with some heavies. I want to play with some guys, that, you know, some swing and rhythm section, not necessarily conventionally swinging, but guys that, you know, that that came from a jazz aesthetic. And uh, I'd say Jack DeSalvo, who a guitar player that that I I met around that time, he had played with Ronald Shannon Jackson. Um, he had just gotten off the road with Ronald Shannon Jackson, I think, at the time, and he had a, a duo. I heard him in a duo with this drummer, drummer named Tom Tedesco, and Tom and Jack, they were playing some hardcore free stuff, I mean, from a jazz perspective, and I heard them, I, I hooked up with them, and that was really my first experience with some really heavy jazz-influenced players in a free context on the, uh, in New York. And so... Uh, that's what I. That's what I meant by you know. I, I at that point I got out. I kind of got away from the free improv, the non-idiomatic free improv thing, and got more into the jazz thing. And from there, I met other people and started doing other stuff. But that's what I meant by that.
So when you're when you're using the the word jazz in that context, people who are coming from a, a jazz perspective, what do you mean by it? What does it include then? Uh, you know when you hear it, right? I mean, uh, it's there. There was definitely um, the people I was playing with before. Definitely, j- jazz was almost a dirty word to to them. They weren't interested in in it at all, and it was it was almost an anti um, anti virtuosic aesthetic. They were um, they were more interested in in novel sounds. And com- the co- combining novels says no- almost novelty for its own sake, and I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying that what they were doing wasn't valid because I did some really fun stuff and some really neat stuff with those people. But uh, I was looking for the guys that came out of Ornette and that came out of Eiler and came out of Cecil. Uh, Cecil was a huge influence on the Lower East Side at the time. Uh, William Parker, you know, had had made kind of made his name with Cecil. And it, that kind of um, uh, non-literal manner of swing that Cecil has, you know, where it's not ching, ching, a ching, it's kind of, you know, all tempos all the time. There's definitely, you know, the jazz swinging manner of phrasing that goes on. It's not, it's not literal, but it's, but it's, it's essential and it's, it's palpable. Uh, you listen to Cecil, and there's no question Cecil's a jazz musician. You listen to Cecil and listen to Frederick Urchevsky, and you, you can t- obviously they're both playing free, but they're totally different kinds of players. And so that's kind of what I mean, like when you you know it when you hear it. And that, so that was the that's the kind of jazz thing I was coming out of the the guys that were that were coming out of the Cecil thing and the the free time rubato high energy thing. And so uh, what makes this album the way that it is? Why are you writing and playing in this style now? Is this a place you feel you've kind of gotten to or is something else you wanted to try, another color on the palette? Or? In a way, I kind of got away from it. Um, that's, I, I think it's in a way it's what I do best. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started uh, playing in the early 90s, when I first started hooking up with the, with the guys in the Lower East Side and – and I was always a bit of an outsider. I, I, I didn't insinuate myself into the group first because I was just shy, and I didn't really know how to do it. Uh, later, because I was a writer and I was I was necessarily kind of looked at as someone, you know, the the relationship between musicians and writers are is is largely adversarial, and so I. Um, I, I I was kind of on the outside, but um, uh, I started playing with with uh, guys like like Jackson Crawl, uh, who who was kind of in that scene, and uh, you know I forgot what your original question was. Well, just asking. Uh, oh, oh so yeah, where I came from. This right, kind of music right. Well, and yeah, I mean I, I started playing with those guys, and I was really into it. You know, I, the, playing that high energy. Super intense. I mean, I'm a very intense player. I, I, I'm, I, I, high energy mu- music really appeals to me. I, I think that's what I do naturally. I, f- and I kind of fell into that naturally. And when I was playing with those guys, uh, you know, that became at the time it was known as the Improvisers Collective, and it came to be uh, the improvise the uh, Vision Festival crowd. Uh, that's what they did, and I was really comfortable with that. 
I really enjoyed it. I was. I, it's very. It's kind of inaccessible. There's not a huge audience for it, and so I. Th I think at a certain point, uh, I'm also a composer. I think I think of myself as a composer, and and so I got uh, to the point where I was writing tunes, and somehow I got to where I was writing more straight ahead, relatively free boppish kind of tunes that were swinging and and kind of ornettish in in in, um, in the way they were conceived, and. Uh, I got I, I got away from that high energy, excuse me, free time thing, and this with this record I I I think I'm getting back to that a lot. Part of what a big part of it is is starting to play alto and tenor again, because those are much more uh, free jazz instruments for me. They're very they're I, they lend themselves to the high energy approach. And soprano, I think for a lot, a lot of years, I was just like I was banging my head against the wall trying to be heard over, you know, the the tumult. And uh, maybe maybe that's partly why I went to the more straight ahead um, concept, so so I didn't have to compete, you know, as far as volume goes and everything. And and uh, when, uh, but when I started playing alto and tenor again. Volume wasn't wasn't a problem because I can play really loud, you know. And so, so, uh, so I guess it's just to answer your question, it's I'm kind of coming back to it. And interestingly enough, when I was doing that, it didn't get documented. Uh, in the early '90s, I wasn't recording, and when I I did rec my first record that I did somewhat along those lines was in 96 with uh, Dominic Duvall and a drummer named Ed Ware and even that was not not real I was coming out of that that fr hyper free aesthetic so I, it never got documented back then so I'm documenting it now all these many years later um, and and I in a way it's like coming home I feel comfortable doing it talk about your rhythm section with whom you've been playing for many years tell folks who they are and, and why you enjoy playing with them Jay Rosen uh, the drummer and Francois Griot the bass player were there for me um, when I came out of, of one of my my um, extended leaves of absence uh, in the early 90s for, for I, I stopped playing for a couple years like 2000 2001 
maybe as as long as like uh, up till 2002, I I had kind of stopped playing, and uh, I had moved out of the city, and we were we had our first child, and uh, I just kind of got for various reasons I got away from playing. So so um, in around 2002, 2003, I started I started going into the city again. I I booked a a, a couple gigs at, at CB's uh, gallery and um, oh but I, I'm getting ahead of myself I, what happened was I ran into Jay one night I went to I think it was a Steve Lacey concert at the Knitting Factory and a St- I ran into Jay I hadn't seen him in years and Jay and I had really not done much playing together at that point and I ran, in, I ran into him outside the Knitting Factory and Jay said man we gotta get together and do something so okay well that sounds good. And Jay, Jay's the kind of guy that he'll pull you in, man. You, you, you just, you say, yeah, we're going to do it. And he won't let you get away with saying, yeah, we're going to do it and then blowing, blowing it off. He said, okay, well, then he'll call you and say, okay, when are we going to do this? Let's set something out, set my, something up. So I ran into Jay outside the knitting factory. And not long after that, I had, like within a week, I had a gig at, at a CB's gallery and I, with a bunch of guys I really didn't know too well. But I... Um, uh, Francois Griot, the bassist, had heard us play, and he really dug it, and he came up to me, he wanted to play, and so I said, okay, sure, I mean, it se- seemed to be um, a serendipitous occurrence, uh, Francois was, I heard him play that evening, and he was really, he was shredding, and, and Jay had just gotten in touch with me, so uh, I put the two together, got, got those two together, and it really, like, worked immediately, and so we started playing together, uh, this is about 2003, and you know the rest is history. We made we made some records together. album uh, is a quartet talk about the fourth member chris demiglio is the trumpet player and he's he's a um, very fine young trumpet player i'm not sure how old he is to be honest i've never asked him (laughs) i would say he's probably he's no older than 30 i would say and he's he's just wailing man he's such a good player he's coming out of the the Don Cherry slash Lester Bowie thing, and he's got the tonal expressionism down. He's he's he, he swings. He um, he listens. He's got huge ears. He listens and responds and incites. And he's everything I, I could want in a trumpet player. Uh, the last record I did was with another great trumpet player, John Carlson, and um, it's just an accident of of. of circumstance that John wasn't on this album uh, I never but but 
I started with John. I was always playing soprano, and soprano and, and tenor or soprano and trumpet have a certain thing happening. Um, that's that's you know it is what it is, and it's not for everybody. Um, with Chris, I pulled out the alto and tenor, and it's much more traditional, uh, conventional. I, I hesitate to say conventional, but it is more conventional sonority. And um, and it really worked immediately. It worked great. I loved the way the tenor and the alto sounded with Chris. So uh, I, I, in a sense, I built I built the, uh, the the whole session around the idea that I would be playing with Chris and I would be playing tenor and alto with Chris. I knew what uh, Francois and Jay could do. But Chris was kind of like the wild card. And uh, he just his presence and his style had a lot to do with how the the record came out. How did you meet him? How did he become involved in this? I think it was Francois. Francois, I was looking for a trumpet player. We were trying to get in touch with Carlson, and he's very busy. He's so, you know, for good reason, because he's such a great player. And and I had lost his phone number. I didn't know how to get in touch with him. And Francois said, well, I know this guy, Chris Chris uh, D'Amelio, D'Amelio, and, and uh, I think you'd like his playing. So so we got together at his house. And, and you, what I do in situations like that when I'm scouting new new talent as it were i i'll um i'll just play free you know we'll get that's the first thing i want to do with someone new i want to play free with them and see what they do and see how they match how their sensibility their improvisational sensibility matches up with my own and so we we, we got together at francois's place and we played an hour or so with jay and um and it was great and i just knew immediately this 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 guy he's he really hears what i hear and he what he does is really um appropriate to what i do when did you start writing about jazz chris i started in 1990 late 1994 i believe and for whom my first uh well for myself originally i i i just um Probably like most uh, aspiring writers, I just started writing stuff and sending stuff out. Um, my my, I was inspired to do it uh, largely. Well, two things. I was I've I've always had you know a certain amount of a certain amount of uh, I shouldn't say contempt, but. <laughs> But but I but I, but, but I have for, for, for not contempt but I jazz critics are, uh, have never exactly been my favorite favorite um, people <laughs> I, 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 and now I am one so but but at the time especially I I I was not getting what I needed from the jazz press I wasn't reading what I wanted to read I wasn't seeing the music covered that I wanted to see covered. And I read a book by James Lincoln Collier, Jazz the I think believe it's called Jazz the American Theme Song, and there was a chapter in that about critics, and I thought he really nailed. Um, he was very critical of critics, as as Collier will be, and I really dug on what he was saying about you know critics were undereducated and and kind of not really doing the music a service, and I and it. The the upshot was that I thought, 
you know, I, I know I can write. I could write when I was a kid. I could write in college. I, it was this thing that, that I always had that I, I thought I could fall back on if I needed to. And, and um, I, I, I thought that was the time. It was the time for me to do it. I wasn't seeing the music getting covered, what, the music that I liked getting covered. And I thought, well, if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it. So I started writing. And I sent, I, I, I think my first, the first thing I ever did, I reviewed a book by, a biography of Ella Fitzgerald by uh, Stuart Nicholson. And I reviewed that for, um, just, just on my own. My wife worked at Ms. Magazine and got a review copy of it. And I, so I just wrote a review and sent it off. And, and a couple of places accepted actually, uh, uh, Cadence accepted it, and they ended up printing it. And then another another magazine called Jazz Now, which was a California publication at the time, long defunct, um, liked what I wrote. And, and he wanted someone to write about the New York scene for his magazine. So uh, he sounded to me about that. And so I, uh, right away I had a column. It was called Notes of the Apple for Jazz Now magazine. I started writing about the New York scene for Jazz Now. Did you have any trepidation about it, about being both a critic and a performer? Oh, duh. I still do. Uh, yeah, it was I, – I, it's all I just, I, I just wrote not long ago. It's like, like a cat and dog living in the same body. You know, it's um, – I, I I, before I started writing about jazz, I frankly had – I had mostly contempt for jazz critics. <laughs> After I started being a jazz critic, I, my, my contempt lessened considerably. I had a greater appreciation of what they were up against and what the job entailed. And, and I, I eventually developed – a certain respect for them that I still maintain, uh, despite what I may have said before. I mean, I do respect th the job, and there are a lot of good writers out there, and and um, who who I respect greatly and who I appreciate. Um, but but um, I um, what was your question? I'm sorry. Well, you mentioned before when you were oh, oh being about, a critic and yeah. I'm, yeah right. Although I will I will guide you in a particular direction, which yeah. is when you were talking before you mentioned um, kind of being on the outside because you had been writing about the music. Right. So I'm, I'm curious about uh, you know what that was like and whether it persists. Right. Right. Well, I I don't know if it persists anymore. I I think it probably did in the early days. I mean, when you're when I first started, I I. I kind of made it made up my mind I was going to be an um, uh, advocate for the music, and I I did not I, I wrote very few uh, critical reviews. I was posit I wrote mostly positive stuff. Um, that didn't last too long because I thought I really wasn't serving my reader. I mean, ultimately that's that's your job to serve the reader, and while your readership is is in large part made up of musicians if you're a jazz critic and that's just the way it is i um i didn't feel like um like i was doing anyone a, a, a justice by just being positive all the time so i i began to be more critical and by being more critical i i think i alienated uh i started alienating musicians in general I, I, you'd have to ask them. I mean, I, I think there are people out there that probably don't like me because of something I've written about them, and um, I think that I, you know, I'm sorry that's the case. I wish that weren't the case. I, 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 um, I go back and forth from being uh, an advocate 
because you know let's face it though there's a the world's kind of against us you know i mean we are in a very real sense all in this together at the same time i can't pretend like i you know i have a i listen critically i'm i'm my own worst critic so i can't pretend like uh everyone's the greatest musician i've ever heard and that every record i've heard is the greatest thing i've ever heard and that there's nothing wrong and that we're all you know that everything is is wonderful i think that um i don't think i help anybody by doing that and ultimately i think uh jazz benefits by having a serious body of of critical literature out there and and i i want to contribute to that in some way so uh, by doing that that's going to necessitate me giving the occasional negative review and you give the occasional negative review you're going to make some enemies. So you'd have to ask those guys. I, I, I know that I don't get very many sideman gigs. I mean, people don't call me for gigs. Mad that I, there could be many reasons for that. I don't know what they are exactly. But, but um, I, you know, I've heard things. I've heard things that I'm not exactly the most popular guy in the world. has the the advent of your blog changed if it has changed the way that you write about the music you know that's that's a good question because it, it has i think it's made me more cognizant of the uh of the we're all in this together mode um when you're when you're interact the blog allows for a certain uh, amount of immediate interaction that when you're writing for for print, you know you don't see. I, I would I would write a thing for Jazz Times or whatever, and then I'd get a, you know, a couple months later I'd get a letter to the editor, a hostile letter to the editor. Someone didn't like what I said, but it wasn't that immediate interaction. I can write something on a blog, and like I'll write something negative about Jazz at Lincoln Center, and Delfeo Marsalis will come on and on my blog and say you're full of it, and and so so it's made me more more aware and sensitive to uh, to the I don't I don't know maybe just the humanity of the musicians and and 
maybe maybe it's made me a little more careful. But at the same time, it's also I've also become more um, more uh, strident. May not be the best word, although some people might think. Um, I've been more emphatic in my in my position, my philosophical position, vis a vis you know the 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 state of the music uh, as far as um, you know the conservatism of the last thirty years, blah blah blah. No one wants to hear about that, but they haven't. No one's wanted to hear about that for the last thirty years, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm going to talk about it, and uh, and so. For instance, over the last, since I started writing, the first thing I ever wrote, uh, literally the first thing I ever wrote for publication, didn't get published, I wrote, a, I wrote an article called, uh, on spec, called, Has Jazz Died and Gone to Lincoln Center? I wrote this in 1993 or 4. And it's this long thing about, about, about how everything, everything that had gone wrong since went and signed to Columbia in 1982 or whenever it was. And I sent it to all these magazines. I got the only reply I got was from Downbeat, and the guy, whoever was at Downbeat, bless his heart, he he responded to me. But he basically said, you know, this war is over. This is yesterday's news. No one wants to hear this. This has been decided. This was in 1993. Right. And and he told me, I you know, basically, I don't want to hear this. And and after I started. Um, after that, after that, I would uh, I would pitch articles. I would write reviews that that took a, a position, a, a contrary position to the dominant uh, conservative uh, aesthetic that, that that I think was um, was going on at the time. And editors didn't want to hear it. And uh, the one editor in particular who I who I uh, wrote for at the time would would he call me every time I wrote an article every time I wrote something negative uh, or critical I don't even say negative every time I wrote something critical he would throw it back at me he sent it back to me he said no now why do you write this da, 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 you know this is not appropriate and and it was very hard to get anything published that was that was that ran counter to the the, the dominant paradigm and and um, so so I've had that trouble from day one. When I got on the blog, long story short, I got on the blog. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I mean, I'm not making any money from it, but I can write whatever I want. I don't have to worry about some editor who who has to worry about uh, an advertiser being being uh, insulted or being being put off by something that one of his writers said. I can write whatever I want. I can I can put it. Put it out there, and uh, and you know, and it's it's not for everybody, but at least I can I can express myself without without fear of being censored. It sounded like you hit on an important point there, and that's that confusion of being critical and being negative. That it almost seems like there's very little space for being critical. Critical in the in the way that I intend that word, meaning to to look at something in detail and talk about what you see as both its merits and demerits. Right. As opposed, and that being seen as anything other than praise being seen as damning, whatever the thing is. Right. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's a big problem. Uh, I, I, I still haven't, I've, I haven't gotten past that. Some people think that, uh, that if, you're, if every review is not a rave, then it's, 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 a, it's a negative, and I don't, I don't feel that way. I think that's a, 
a lot of the people that that uh, don't like me so much. I don't think they understand that. That I, that in general, I, I revere their contribution, and I might have I, I might say something you know a little little critical of what they've they've done, but um, but I. I in general, I, I wouldn't be writing about what they do if I didn't care about it and I didn't think it was of value. Does uh, being a writer, does that make you kind of hyper aware of your own compositions and performance? I mean, I think most performers are anyway, but does it change the way you look at your own music or think about what you're going to record? Or No, I don't think so. I, 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 I think that the same impulse that makes me, that makes me uh, a writer, that makes me a critic, uh, comes into play when I'm when I'm recording and, and composing and performing. I think I'm just generally a critical person. You know, I have a very, I, I'm like I said, I'm my own worst critic. I've never read a review of one of my records that that was as critical as I would be if I reviewed it. You know, so so I think that's just my nature. I think uh, it, it goes hand in hand. What what excites you about playing this music? That you know, it's it's. One of those things I, I I don't even know how to explain it. It's it's like breathing. You might you might as well ask me what's what I find exciting about breathing. It's it's just, it's it's just essential. It's just an essential part of, of who I am. I can't explain it. It just is. It's just me and I'm it. So uh, you are taking the route followed by some other people who have uh, – well, you wrote in print, I guess, before online. But many online writers are creating books out of things that they write or along the same lines, and you're doing the same. Talk yeah, yeah. Well, I finished it today essentially. I'm sure I'll go back and, and – um, Congratulations. And tw- thank you. I'm sure I'll go back and tweak it, but I actually printed it out today. You look much less insane than the <laughs> book today. Oh man, it is. So, I've, I I have been on the last the last chapter for the last two weeks, and I I I thought I'd have this. I, I woke up Monday morning, not this last Monday morning, but the week before that, and I thought, okay, today I'm going to finish the book, and I had the last chapter, and I started. And I just got stuck, and I'm writing. And normally, I can get up and I can just do. I can knock, knock off 800 words before breakfast, you know. And I'm just like, the last two weeks have just been. I feel, oh, they've been interminable. It's been so difficult. And I, I had a tooth pulled last week. I had a tooth pulled Tuesday, a wisdom wisdom tooth pulled, and and oh my God, it's just been terrible. But finally, today. I, I actually got up and I finished it between the time I took my 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 daughter to the bus stop and ate breakfast. I, I finished my I finished it and I'll, I've twi- I I'll tweak it some more. But uh, and what is uh, what is the book? What's the yeah the well the it's it's the the, the title the, the the title I've got on now is uh, Murder the Dead, um, and then the subtitle is. Um, uh, murder the dead and other sublime inconsistencies that's what it is and then there's a subtitle jazz blah 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 someone will probably change it and you know an editor will probably change it at some point but it'll be called jazz is wonderful <laughs> yes probably <laughs> but i like murder the dead and other sublime inconsistencies so it's 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 in part a collection of 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 the th- of some stuff i did on the blog i also what i did 
on the blog though I, I you know the the saying well why did you write me such a long letter well I didn't have time to write you a short one well that's how the blog is you know I write extreme length and I and almost stream of consciousness without a certain amount of editing now when I put it in book form you know it's a much more considered process and I'm much more critical and and I edit myself and and so the the pieces in in many cases bear little if any resemblance to the way they originally appeared on the blog but uh, that's where most of them got their start and I, in addition to the, the the pieces as they were written and rewritten I also have have added um, connecting passages and commentaries um, that that um, things that occur to me after the fact. Uh, I, I'm uh, I'm the kind of guy who who I, I go back when I listen to my records. I always think of a better way to, I could have done it. When I re read what I've written. I always think of a better way it could have been written. So that's kind of what I did uh, with the book. I would go back and and I took pieces that I'd written and I reconfigured them and then I commented on them, kind of like uh, as if I were a comment. Uh, someone on the blog commenting upon the blog, and I, that so the book consists of the, the the articles, the pieces, the individual pieces, and they're connected by my comments. And some things, you know, and I and like I said, I'm, all, I'm my own worst critic. Some some of the things I wrote after the fact were pretty critical of the things that I wrote before the fact. Uh, but that's 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 the essence of it, and it, it combines. It's it's kind of a hybrid of, of of criticism and memoir. There are elements of memoir to it. I it's not a straight book of jazz criticism like Francis Davis or Gary Giddens or Howard Mandel might do. It's 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 a lot of different things, and. Um, you know, who knows? I, I it will be published because in this day and age, you can publish, you can self-publish. But you know, I'd like to get a, um, I'd like not to have to pay for it. Obviously, I'd like like to get it out there and get some some good distribution. I'm I'm pretty I'm very happy with it actually, and I think uh, there's a a readership for it. My guest is Chris Kelsey. The Chris Kelsey Four have a new record called "Not Cool," as in the opposite of Paul Desmond. And uh, it's been a real pleasure, man. I talked to you uh, face to face. Ah, yeah, man. I really enjoy what you do, and you know, you do a great service to the community. And uh, it's been a, a, a great pleasure for me as well. Thanks.
That's music from Chris Kelsey and his album Not Cool, as in the opposite of Paul Desmond. That's the name of the album. I'm not editorializing. Thanks to Chris Kelsey for being on the show. I am Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. You can find every episode of the show for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes, and there's a mailing list and a Twitter feed and a Facebook group and a dance and a secret handshake and a juggling routine and a couple of jokes and a punchline and a watercolor painting and a jello mold, all available online at thejazzsession.com. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for doing the theme music. They are at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for designing the logo, and thanks to you for listening to the darn thing. I don't know why you do. I wouldn't. Uh, Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Hit it, Red. Bye. Bye.